0: Am I on? It's quite a heavy mic, this one, isn't it? I don't know whether I can do it. <laughs> Am I strong enough? No. I you. don't know. It's if good. you see me lagging halfway through, it's then good. we'll swap microphones, oh, my okay? <laughs> my hands are cold too, but that's no surprise, is it? <laughs> All right. How are we going? Good? good? Yep. All eyes to the front. I was just bouncing on my son over there before because well, he was too it noisy. Anyway, doesn't matter. Listen up. Don't be rowdy either, don't call out. <laughs> i am being a bit bossy already. Richard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. When I ask a question, put your hands up in an orderly fashion. No calling out. Have I got an agreement on that before I even ask the question? No. So you're calling out already. <laughs> All right, listen very carefully. I have cities, but no houses. I have mountains, but no trees. I have water, but no fish. What am I? I'll say it again. I have cities, but no houses. I have mountains, but no trees. I have water, but no fish. What am I? Put your hand up if you think I've got one person with their hand up. Put your hand up if you think you know what it is. Wayno, what is it? An oh, ant's nest, no, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone like here? Jane? A, A desert? no. A desert. Maybe it could be, but no, yeah. no. <laughs> it's it Anyone else, one more, one more. I take that's no. <laughs> All right, well, I was gonna ask who didn't get it, but that's everybody, so it's pretty obvious that it was a bit hard to communicate what I was trying to say, isn't it? It's a map. I'm a map. Now you get it, right. So, can you imagine if I went home and the only way that I communicated with my family was through riddles and I was trying to communicate to them something very important. It's actually not going to work very well, is it? And I have to be honest with you, I have been known At times, just within my family, when I'm feeling a little bit cheeky, just to insert into the conversation a line about, there's a pig over there in the middle of the room. And then I continue on with what I'm saying because I want to see if I get a reaction or a response. And I know pretty much by the response or the lack of response if the person I'm talking to, which I won't tell you who it has been in the past, He's actually listening to what I'm saying <laughs> Try it, it's really good You've got to do it in good humour though right? You can't be angry when you do it Anyway Well Jesus was a master communicator wasn't he And he didn't speak in riddles But he did speak in parables a lot of the time And the disciples were a little bit curious As to why he did this So let's have a look at Matthew 13 Got it up there we're going to have a look at quite a few verses today, so they will be up on the screen, and you don't need to try and follow along. I need you to listen. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, that others are not. To those who are listening to my, <laughs> sorry, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really understand. So you can see here, I'm in good company actually. Jesus is doing the same sort of thing that I was doing he was looking to see if the people that he was speaking to were actually listening and invested in what he was saying or whether there was just the appearance of listening now jesus disciples would have been very familiar with a concept that perhaps we're not so familiar with in our culture and in the hebrew language the word for here which is shema It does mean to physically hear with the ears, but it also implies to obey. They didn't have a separate word for obey. Um, So for them to hear something was to obey it, to apply it to their lives. Now Jesus' message was consistent, wasn't it, about the kingdom of God. It's not about the external, it's about the condition of your heart. So when we physically hear something, We can physically hear something, but if we don't have the heart intention to obey it, to apply it to our lives, then we're not going to understand what he's saying and we haven't really heard in the first place what he's saying. Can I put it this way? We cannot hear from God that which we are not willing to obey. Think about that for a minute. We cannot hear from God that which we are not willing to obey. All right, Jesus continued on in his answer by quoting Isaiah. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them so it's clear from this that this lack of hearing comes about from a hardened heart and yes I'm going to look at the Greek again because I always love to look at what it actually means And the word hardened is pecuno, I think it's pronounced like that, but it means to be dull, insensitive, unfeeling, to become stupid. Ouch, that's not very nice, is it? To become stupid. I'm not exactly sure what stupid means in the Greek, but I know in English (laughs) we don't want to be known as stupid, do we? (laughs) Um, But if we dig a little bit deeper, into the Greek, this word hardened comes from a root word that means to fix or to pitch a tent. So we might say it like this it's where we camp out, we make our home, or we stay put. And I think Jesus directly addressed this sort of issue with the Pharisees. Remember the man who was born blind and they were asking him questions, you know, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? That's that's a sermon for another day. But Jesus honed in and said something to them that I think relates to what I'm talking about. He said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you maintain we see, your sin remains. So he wasn't talking about physical blindness at this point, was he? But he's saying, because you insist that you can see, that you can understand God's word, and you can understand the things of God, you've missed the mark. Your sin remains so the question for us then is have we pitched a tent somewhere Are we can't doubt in a place where we're insisting that we understand something about God something in his word each of us has the responsibility to guard our own hearts can't do it for anyone else but if we allow our hearts to harden then we're running the danger of not hearing what God is actually saying to us. So what do we need? We need an attitude of teachability, we need to be humble, and we need to be ready to repent. And all repentance is, is to change our mind or to change our thinking. And from our thinking and our beliefs, our behaviors change, right? So in the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus pretty much points out that it's the condition of our hearts that will determine how fruitful the seed will be. And there is a pig over there sitting in the middle of the room. Do I have an amen? There's a few. There's a few that weren't listening. Amen. Oh, see, I was the only one that was listening there. Very good. Have I got your attention, though? Yes. I think I do. That's great. All right, let's look at a parable again and this is in Matthew 13 again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value he went away and sold everything he had and bought it now perhaps you've got a different take on this very small two-sentence parable I've had a different um, take on it for many years, but in just preparing this, I've, I've come to see it in a different way. So I hope you will consider this different way too. So in this parable, God is represented by the merchant who was looking for something of great value and he found it and he was prepared to give up everything to purchase it. So the pearl of great price represents us, the church, made up of all of us individual people, the church. We are the pearl of great price. God loves and places value on those he created, that he would pay the ultimate price to have them as his treasured possessions. you know how loved and valued you are do you have ears to hear nothing you do changes this value this special treasured possession should have been a familiar concept for the Jewish people that Jesus was talking to because throughout the scriptures God identified them as a treasured possession One example of this is in Exodus, let's just read it. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. So treasured possession or possession, it's just one word in the Hebrew, it's segula, which means treasures of the king or a trust that's put away for a purpose. So, you know when you're watching a movie, you often see the rich family has a trust fund for their children so that when they get to, you know, 21, they come into all of this money. That's that's what it's talking about. It's a trust put away for a purpose. Now, Peter and Paul tell us about believing Gentiles are actually included in this special, I can't get this out, special Possession scenario 2 That's really hard to say. Special possession scenario too. So we're included in this. With the people who had been his special possession throughout the Old Testament, believing Gentiles are brought into this. And Peter tells us that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it, to the Exodus one? And here comes what the purpose is put away for, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Paul, his take on this, he tells us in Ephesians about the mystery of, that was hidden for generations actually, that's now revealed that Christ would actually dwell in believers, both Jews and Gentiles, which is the church. And he says God's purpose for that, that they, that Jesus would dwell in them, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we see here that we, the church, made up of all these individuals, are the treasure of the king, aren't we? And the church has now been revealed and we can be fulfilling God's purpose on the earth by declaring the praises of God. And in doing so, we are a witness to the heavenly realms of God's wisdom. We are of great value and worth In the eyes of God so let's have a look at what Jesus says about these people who would follow him believers you and I he says I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Look at that. Jesus has given us his glory. Not going to give it to us. He has given us his glory. And there's a purpose in doing that too. So that, one, we can be one with Jesus and God the Father by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Did you hear that? That we can be one with God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That's mind blowing. It is, it's mind blowing. We're not God, we're not deity, but he's brought us in to be one with him. We've been given the glory so that you and I And people who are meeting right now down the road and people on the other side of the earth who are being persecuted for their faith would be united, would be unified. And we've been given this glory that the world would see how loved by God we are. What what even is glory anyway? Got to have a look in the Greek again. It's the word doxa, which means dignity, glory, honour, praiseworthy worship, viewer opinion, its intrinsic worth, personal opinion which determines value. So in giving us his glory we have been given such value, dignity and worth and from this comes our purpose. So do you feel valued right now sitting here? Or have you disqualified yourself maybe this week? Or this morning might have been a snide remark to someone in your family. Or you're angry with someone because they've hurt you. Maybe you're angry with God because they seem to be getting away with it. Here's a good one. You haven't even had one quiet time this week. Ooh. So it seems you're the only one sitting here that doesn't have great value and worth in the eyes of God, because there's not much that's praiseworthy about, you know, any of those things that I've talked about. Oh, and except for the person who's sitting over there too, because did you hear what they did? See, if we feel we've been disqualified because of what we do, then our view and opinion doesn't line up with God's view and opinion. And this is an aspect of God's glory, his view and opinion. And you know what, if we're disqualifying ourselves, then we're probably disqualifying others too. And it may not be outwardly, we may not be gossiping or talking about somebody, but perhaps in our hearts we have. And Jesus said that's what matters the most, doesn't it? What's in our hearts. So I want to show you something else about glory. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul tells us about when Moses was on Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments and he'd asked God show me your glory and the Lord passed by him and showed him his goodness and it says that his face radiated with brightness from the glory of the Lord so as he descended the mountain the Israelites couldn't even look at him even though that brightness was fading he had to put a veil over face. And it says that they couldn't look at him because their minds had been hardened. And Paul goes on to say that any time then that the law that was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments was given to Moses, that a veil remains over our hearts. But he goes on to say something else too. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, all of us who have had that Pharaoh used can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed in His glorious image. And some translations say, as we change from glory to glory. So when Paul said, whenever the law is read, that the veil remains over the hearts, I don't think he's simply talking about when the physical law is read. But it's got to do with our thinking around how the law is actually fulfilled. So the Israelites didn't understand that God knew that they couldn't fulfill the law in their own ability. But it was in his goodness and mercy towards them that he'd set up this system, a a sacrificial system, so that when they did fail, they could come to him, they could approach him. So the law is good. And it's still good today. The commandments are God's prescription for a great life. It's a life that honours God, but it also enables us to live in peace and in love with those around us. Don't do away with the law. So then, the veil covers our hearts still today when we don't believe that the law is completely fulfilled in Jesus. I'll put it another way when this can be really subtle at times, to the point that we don't recognise that's how we're often operating. We might be able to say, oh no, no, I know that I'm accepted, but if we have a look at how we're actually operating, we can be back at that place where we think we've got to do some stuff. So what's the litmus? Because that will harden your heart quicker than anything else. And remember what harden means? You don't want to be stupid, do you? <laughs> so don't do it. go, <laughs> okay, very simple. But don't go to the other extreme either, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, who were focusing so much on the law, what you've got to do and sin. You know, you'll end up back then trying to earn acceptance by God in what you do. So how do we move away from this performance-based Christianity? Pretty simple. As Paul said, by turning to the Lord. And what does that look like? It's trusting in his finished work and not your own. Knowing that, yes, we fail and we fail often, but we are never disqualified. And when anyone turns to the Lord and the veil is taken away, it is then that we have the ability not only to see God's glory, but to reflect it. The focus has always got to be on Jesus and not on us. And I know that sounds a little bit contradictory in what I've been saying, but in seeing and accepting the value and the worth that he's placed on us, we're putting the focus on what Jesus has done for us, in us, and through us and that's what we want to be reflecting to the world isn't it we are the pearl of great price and we have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus we've been singing that this morning bought with the precious blood of Jesus that's no small price so we need to be spending time in his presence thanking him that he would even pay such a price for us that he would see such value in us even when we certainly didn't deserve it meditate on that love that gave up everything so that you could be brought near to him to be made one with him okay so practically in the everyday moments what's one thing that we can do we're not going to be able to you know do a whole lot of stuff here, but there's one thing maybe that we can do literally stop yourselves in your tracks when you recognize you're operating in a way that doesn't line up with God's view and opinion recognize the lies reject them and replace them with the truth from God's word So it it might look like this. If you're devaluing devaluing yourself in some way, you know what you say to yourself in your head. You you may not be speaking it out loud, but you know what's going on a lot of the time. You need to stop yourself and start to affirm that you are of great value and worth and that you have been brought at at a, a great cost by Jesus, that you are the righteousness of God, in Christ Jesus now and you might have to do this a hundred times a day for weeks and weeks on end but as Fiona was saying the more we do something the easier it becomes and the less that we have to do that so it does take a little bit of effort on our part it doesn't just happen there is no magic wand It's easier sometimes just to let our feelings and thoughts run their course and just let life happen. But the fruit of that mostly isn't great, is it? And it's not to say that we don't acknowledge how we're feeling or thinking about something, because there is is genuine response to things that happen in life that we do need to be able to acknowledge but it's the meaning or the significance that we give to those circumstances that might not line up with God, His view and opinion. And that's where we can get ourselves into a dark place. So we need to be recognising those thoughts that aren't lining up, recognising the lies in those and bringing it to God and lining it up with His truth. The world doesn't want to do it that way do they we're told not to question how someone feels or what they think because that's offensive to do so isn't it but what does Paul say in Corinthians the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds what are the strongholds Paul's about to tell us we demolish arguments those thoughts, those thinking patterns that we have, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If I believe that the word, what the Word says, when I live a life of intention with my heart turned to Jesus, I will be changed or transformed from glory to glory, reflecting his glory to the world who doesn't know how loved and valued they are and they haven't accepted or received his mercy and grace. There's a lot riding on it, isn't there? So do you have ears to hear? Do you have a soft heart? Go take a look in the mirror. What do you see? Our reflection is powerful. So why don't we get the band up? We're just going to sing that Come to the Altar song again. But just let me pray for you. It's in these moments we can walk out the door and have some soup and we forget at all. If, if you've felt, if you've been saying, Holy Spirit, show me. show me where I've pitched a tent that isn't lining up with your view and opinion, where I'm not reflecting your glory. This is the time to start dealing with it now. Be focusing on him, be thanking him, but be honest with him about where you are. If you don't have the intention, you don't have the intention. It's up to you. You, You're the one responsible for your own heart just let's take this moment as we come to him to do some business within this family he is so good and I really felt that he wanted us to all know how valuable we are to him he's relational he wants to engage with you in your heart thank you Lord thank you Lord for your goodness to us that you would give up everything to purchase us so that we could be your treasured possession that you would give us your glory Lord. we don't deserve it but we are qualified by Jesus his righteousness now to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus